0: everybody it's so great to be with you this morning i just drove from lake travis it's the first time i've ever spoken in lake travis and now here this morning so that was really fun a whole bunch of believers up there on my way down i was uh i was um obeying the speed limit and as i as i coming down southwest parkway there was this lady who had pulled off the side of the road and there were all these branches strewn across the road on her side. And she'd parked her car there, and she was running back and forth, pulling huge branches that were blocking the road off into the median. And I just thought, God bless that lady. When, what kind of person stops in the It's raining. It's poor. Listen, that's an image of the church. We need to be the kind of people that will stop on the side of the road and pull the branches off the road. You need to think about how you can be that person in your neighborhood. If there's stuff going on in your neighborhood and branches down and all kinds of crazy things, be the person that gets in the road and, and will be inconvenienced. I think that's what God's called us to do. Just one more thing on ADRN. Uh, I think they're training people all week long, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, for this current uh, disaster uh, with um, Hurricane Harvey. So, um, you can check that out online. All right, time to get to the scriptures. If you don't have a message notes, I would love for you to uh, pick one up from all the uh, ushers here. They've got them in their hands. You can raise your hand and they'll get you one. Uh, you know, we started a series last week called You Ask For It. Everybody say it. You asked for it. No, say it again. You, <laughs> that means you asked for it, not I asked for it. This is when you get to say this is when you're going to say, hey, I, this is what I want to hear about. This Easter, 2016 or 2017, 2017 Easter this year, we took a survey and we asked you, what do you need to hear about? What do you want to know about? What do you want to talk about in our services together? And so we're taking the top four answers. We're doing a little mini series right now. And then we're going to launch into a series on the number one answer, which has to do with purpose, finding your purpose with God, finding your purpose in life. And we're going to spend some time on that because I think that's a big deal. And so last week we talked about dealing with difficult people, which was really awesome because I'm the only one who got the vantage point of standing up here and watching you squirm while we talked about the person next to you. It was fantastic, Um, but dealing with difficult people, if you missed it, you can watch it online at onechapel.com. I encourage you. It was a really, I thought it was a really sort of profound take on dealing with difficult people, and I think it was really helpful. This week, um, we're going to deal with number three answer, which was marriage, uh, family, and relationships. Now, of course, impossible to cover that huge swath of territory um, on in one message. So we're committed to doing some series on marriage and family as we move forward. But today, I'm going to talk to you about the the seeds of those relationships. I'm going to talk to you about what has to happen in yourself in order for your family, for your marriage. For your friends for your church community for your life to have health to have vibrancy Um, and so we're going to talk about that today I, i i was thinking about this and how we all learn how to interact with people very early in life you know all the the big lessons of life are learned before age five you want to learn about justice? Starts to happen to you about age two. <laughs> How many kids <laughs> say say to their mom, "That's not fair"? And what does mom say? Life's, Life's not fair. I'm so sick of hearing that. <laughs> yeah. There, there, so here's what here's what it is. You're you're experiencing as a child in the <laughs> context of your family. All the first lessons, lessons on selfishness, lessons on forgiveness, lessons on compassion, lessons on personal responsibility, lessons on how to interact with people who are unlike you, learning how to deal with people when they've hurt you. All these lessons start in the family. Here's the problem. We live in a society that's broken in terms of the family, the the divorce rate, the dysfunction, the dynamics of our cultural family ideas, really challenging to learn these things in a healthy way. And the question is, who's gonna help people learn it? I'm convinced that the, the only people that can really help people learn what it looks like to live with others in relationship is the Church of Jesus Christ. We have to model it, we have to learn it, we have to shape our lives around the experience of helping other people engage in it, and and it is challenging, it is tough, but it is what we're called to as the Church of Jesus Christ, And, and helping people learn how to love one another and how to receive love, loving and receiving love. God's really interested in that. And so I want you to take your, your message notes there, and I want you to fill in the blanks as we go through it. And this first, thing, first m- sentence is really the, the thesis of the topic today, and it is this. If you try to build intimacy with another person before you've done the work of becoming whole on your own, and make no mistake, there's work involved in it. If you try to establish intimacy with another person before you've done the work of becoming whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. You keep working and walking through life. All your relationships, if you haven't done the work of becoming whole on your own, all your relationships become an attempt to just keep completing yourself. Why is this so important for us to get? Because no one was designed to complete you. Jerry Maguire was wrong. <laughs> for those of you who don't know, Jerry Maguire, one of the, one, one of the greatest romantic movies of uh, modern uh, movie making, and romantics everywhere quote it. And there's a p- specific scene in there with Tom Cruise, and he was brilliant in this movie, and he, and he talks about his love for this this person, and and he's like trying to get it out, and he's trying to communicate, and he says these words. Let's watch it together. Our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close. To being in the same vicinity as complete. Because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice. Or laugh about it with you. I miss... I miss my wife. we live in a cynical world a cynical world and we work in a business of tough competitors i love you you complete me and i'm just- Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. amazing romantic movie second only to The Notebook. You can check that out. (laughs) Two old people in love die together. It's awesome. (laughs) Here's the problem. When you see life as as a process of people completing you, you are constantly trying to engage in relationships to get stuff, to get something. I remember my oldest child, Zachary, we have five kids, and he was five years old at this particular time, and we're walking down the street of Breckenridge, Colorado, we were on vacation as a family, and we're just walking through and looking at shops and stuff, and he's kind of, I think he and his grandpa were uh, up ahead, and, and he had just learned to ride his bike, so he's fascinated by bikes, he sees this really shiny bike, and this kid is on this bike, and he's kind of sitting there, and Zachary walks up to him, He's five years old, and 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 he says, "Do you want to be my friend?" Oh, that's so sweet. And the kid says, mm, "Sure." And Zachary said, "Okay, give me the bike." <laughs> I mean, he literally said I mean, it's like in his little 5-year-old mind, like this is the bridge you have to create <laughs> in order to get the bike. <laughs> you be my friend, then you share it with me. And I think if we're not careful as humans, we go through in our entire life trying to get stuff from people to fix us, to make us better, to complete us, when really we can only find who we are one way. And I wanna tell, I wanna give you three ideas that help you in this journey of becoming all that God wants you to be. I think if you want to be healthy in your marriage, if you want to be healthy in your family relationships, you want to be healthy with your friends, you've got to get a lock on your profound significance. Your profound significance. Now, you, now think about this for a second. I think people underestimate how important they are just as a human being. You're a miracle, no matter how you came into this world. There's a miraculous process, but here's, what, here's where things really change is when you discover that God, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the God who created you, actually loves you as if there was nobody else on the planet. You, you kind of have to come to that sort of conclusion in your soul and it's one thing to know this with your head. Like many, many of you ha- grew up in some church context and you've heard the story and how much God loves you. And, and you could sort of sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. You know, some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But it's an old song and, it, and you, you, you actually can sing it in your head, but getting it to your heart, getting it down deep in your soul, that's the challenge. And sometimes the distance between head and heart is a very long journey. 73% of our thoughts fall into the negative self talk. That's the modern statistics, sociologist studies. 73% of us, 73% of our thoughts, I mean, are negative. We have this, this dialogue going on inside of our heads. I heard one guy call it the committee. <laughs> The committee is going on inside of our heads and we're talking to ourselves. And 73% of that is negative self-talk. It comes from your temperament, your history, your hurts, your worldview, your experiences, your interactions with people. Dr. Caroline Leaf, who is a communication pathologist in the field of cognitive neuroscience. In other words, she's a brain researcher and she, she's studied how toxic thoughts develop in our heads and how you erase them, how you, you can't really erase them because you've got to replace them for them to get erased. You have to replace those toxic thoughts. And in her book, it's kind of her landmark work, Switch on Your Brain. She said this, she says, if you realized how powerful your thoughts are, you would never think a negative thought. If you want to conquer your negative thoughts, I, I encourage you to read that book, I think it's it's really valuable in your journey. But because negative self talk is the opposite of faith, it's the opposite of positivity, it's the opposite of a, of imagination. You have problems you're trying to deal with. Imagination is part of this finding the solutions. And I think people inspired by the Creator of the universe, by the work of the Spirit in their lives, they have an imagination like with rocket fuel in it, right? Because, because it's not just their own imagination, it's imagination inspired by the faith that they've put in their creator, the faith in Jesus himself and the Holy Spirit works in them and, and that's that vision that we need. You've got to overcome that negative self-talk and the confidence that you need. I think it comes from knowing that you are deeply loved by someone who does not complete you but who created you who has redeemed you and then recreated you in his image. The problem is most of us, even though we read the Bible, we don't even believe what it says about us. So we're unconvinced. And, here, and here's the reason, because you know you best. Right? You know all your mess-ups. You know all your mistakes. You know all your failures. You know all this stuff. And the only one if I could challenge you, the only one who knows you better is God himself. Hey, the only one who knows your potential is God himself. Your parents don't know it. Your friends don't know it. Your teachers, your coaches, nobody knows your potential except God himself. So you have to get in touch with that. I want to, I want you to take a piece of paper with a list of who you are in Christ and what the Bible says about you, what God thinks about you. I've made it available. If you want to, if you want to Take it, you can text one chapel to 313131. Just put one chapel in your mobile device and text, text one chapel to 313131, and you'll get that, it'll come up on your on your uh, screen and you can save it to your camera roll or wha- send it to whatever, however you want to print it out or just keep it on your device. But it's a, you need, many of you need to put it on your mirror. You need to, a reminder every day. You need to spend time investing in what God says about you, not what you think about you. Um, there's a movement in our culture to build self-esteem through placing value on who you are. The problem is it's impossible to think your way To value or to your own significance because it's interesting the only way to determine value of a thing right is what it's what its price is what what someone else is willing to be to pay for it right I love this is what garage sales are all about (laughs) right you think it's really valuable (laughs) we had a garage sale recently and 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 my son Zachary again he was helping us and we were he was pricing everything so high because the truth is he really didn't want to part with it unless he could get a certain. And other people would come up and they're like, what do you want for that? He's, he was selling a table. He's like, it's, it's a table he made and his mother and his wife did not want him to sell it. So that's the context. So he priced it at $450. <laughs> Why did he put it out there? It doesn't make any sense. People would come up with, how much do you want for that? 450 Okay. They move on. Last night the Mayweather-McGregor fight was hundred bucks. It was a hundred bucks pay-per-view. How, come on, tell, how many of you spent it? Come on, how many of you watched it? You liars! <laughs> a whole bunch of you watched it at a friend's house and didn't pay. the pro- <laughs> The problem with that thing is you got to. Here's the problem with that whole system: you gotta, you have no idea how the fight's going to be, so you have to pay the money. <laughs> And you may get one round. Now, good for us, it was 10 rounds and it was pretty entertaining. But I want you to think about the idea of paying for something before you really know what the value, right, is going to turn out to be. See, God placed such a high value on you that that he gave his son, Jesus, to take away your sin. And he gave it before he knew, like before you decided, before there was a response for you and and there's a there's a process here where God is laying himself out and trying to communicate how much he loves you. Here's Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And it says it's the Apostle Paul. I'm gonna read it from the message translation. But he's challenging these believers in Ephesus and he says, "I and I ask him, meaning I'm praying, that with both feet planted firmly on love, you'll be able to take in with all Christians the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth, Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God. What he's saying is you're not going to be able to find the depths. It's like an ocean. Most of us end up trying to find our significance in accomplishments, in tasks, in our careers, in our children. If you try to find your your significance in your children, you will wreck your children. (laughs) there's There's a... There's a thing that drives us with our possessions and our cars and our houses. We get caught trying to fill the deep hole of our soul with these things, with other people, with possessions or our own desires and dreams. And it's a sad and temporary fix. It's a sad replacement for the love of God that wants to come in and heal your heart, forgive your sin, transform your mind. Over my sabbatical, over the last eight weeks this summer, I got in touch in a new way with the love of God. I I got in touch in a new way with the significance of my life, unrelated to my performance as your pastor. Took me about four weeks to get there. Four weeks to get, no, just to get to the place where I could consider it, (laughs) that I had any value uh, without being your pastor. Or no value about my performance as the pastor. I say it again, pastors are people too. Remember that. They got all this clattering stuff going on inside themselves as well. And as a perfectionist, I've often struggled with measuring myself in a correct way. Measuring, I've had trouble with measuring up, because it seems like I always think there should be more, an overactive sense of my own deficiencies. Maybe you relate. But while I was on sabbatical, I read a book, it's called The Rest of God. It's by Mark Buchanan. And and this is what he says about Sabbath. It's a book about how to rest in God and what Sabbath means for us. So here's what he said. He said, in a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, uh, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way that we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual, physical, mental, and spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and the presence that we miss in our busyness. Listen, Sabbath is more about getting in touch with your value to God just as you are. Not producing anything. God's view of you is not utilitarian. He doesn't see you as a pawn or an object to wield in his impersonal plans. You've heard me say this before, but I'm gonna say it again. Sometimes we pray these prayers, God use us, but I don't know if if we should use that language because God doesn't use people. We use people and misuse them. God doesn't use people. He, he collaborates with them. He invites them into what he's doing. The creator of the, of the universe invites us into his miracles. He invites us to be part of what he's saying and doing in the earth. And he, we collaborate with him and he partners with us. He, he says, you're so significant in my universe. I want you to participate And my great purpose, if you don't have a profound sense of how God sees your significance and and you get in touch with your profound significance, what happens is you start doing things for him or thinking that he's using you and if you're imperfect at it, you think you're horrible and if you're really good at it, you start to think that you're pretty awesome. And then, but then the tiredness kicks in, and you can't ever, like, be good enough. God wants us to see ourselves through the lens of love instead of the filter of fear. The lens of love instead of the filter of fear. Here's what John said in 1 John 4, 15 through 16. He says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. In other words, judgment. Some, someone's evaluating us. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We, we love because he first loved us. We love because... Jesus loved us first. God loves us, and then we are, fear is eradicated in our lives because we are no longer under the judgment of God. We rest under the grace of God in Jesus Christ. We are settled with who we are. We know there's imperfections, but we know that there's a significance to us, and God has welcomed us into his purpose and his family. The second thing we got to nail down is if you want healthy relationships, marriages, family, you got to get in touch with unswerving authenticity unswerving authenticity like you're settled your profound significance here's here's the, how to differentiate your profound significance has to do with your relationship with god your your authenticity has to do with your relationship with you <laughs> with you there's no hiddenness there's a there's a there's an openness. See, so many of us have the disease to please. Bye, Connie and John. Have a great trip. We bless you in the name of Jesus as you go help people in need. Awesome. Um, the, we, some of so many yeah, give them a hand. Yeah. So many of us have the disease to please. That's a nice way to say it, isn't it? The disease to please. I know I've got, to, I told the church last week, I think, I told you guys, I was like, Amy and I are trying this new thing because we're people pleasers. It's called disappointing people. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. But, the, but Stephen Covey, who is a brilliant author, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, he says, in order to say no to people, which is really challenging, but it's important, in order to say no, you must have a bigger yes inside you. And very often we have to say yes to Jesus, yes to God, yes to what he's doing in our life, and no to people because they they, they're not the same. The person who is healthy, knows their purpose, knows their weaknesses, knows their strengths, has found a place of deep satisfaction and security where they can be who God has made them to be. And so no matter what people think, no matter what people say around you, that person continues to move forward with what God's called them to do. Look at Ephesians 4.1. The message Bible again here's Paul and he's he's saying I want you to get out there and walk better yet run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want any anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. So many people are just on a journey and they don't even know like where they're headed. They're struggling to find themselves, but they're also but they're also struggling to let people really know who they are. We'll never be able to be honest and vulnerable with our spouse or our family or our kids or our friends until we find confidence in being who God's made us to be. Brené Brown the author of Daring Greatly, another great book you should read if you're if you're wanting to improve your relational strength and and wisdom. She says, because true belonging only happens when we present our authentic imperfect, everybody say imperfect. True belonging only happens when we present our authentic imperfect selves to the world. Our sense of belonging can never be greater than our level of self-acceptance. Now, please understand, I'm not suggesting that it's okay to insist that this is just who I am, and I can never change. It's not. I'm not talking about insisting. Oh, this is this is who I am. This is how I was made, and so g- g- God loves me, and I I don't need to listen to anyone. I really don't. I really don't um, even. I don't really want to allow God to change things in my life. This is a. F- this is a profound moment in every person's life where they say okay I'm going to I'm going to surrender everything to God's desires for me and I'm going to relinquish my desires because see see auth- authenticity sometimes people misunderstand it sometimes people think that being authentic is saying this is who I am and you can like it or leave it see I think if we're not careful that kind of becomes selfishness. That's not authenticity, that's just a self-centered view of the world. Let me say it this way, selfishness insists on a predetermined outcome. It's the way I want it, this is the way I see it, this is the way I think it's it's going to be and should be. But authenticity invites people into a loving process. Authenticity invites people into a loving process because all of us are, have, have issues. All of us have baggage. None of us are perfect. All of us are in need of redemption and transformation. And if you don't think that all of us are in need of redemption and transformation, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. You're, you're missing the fact that each of us need God to come in and begin to change what's gone on in our lives and to see our value through his eyes and to be authentically who he's made us to be while on the journey with others. See, God can redeem us and then he works out his loving transformation in a community of relationships, but our authenticity is establishing honest, loving and transformative relationships. We can't be our true authentic selves with others, our friends, our family, our spouse, if we can't do that, if we can't allow them in to see what's really going on, we start to suffer with something called internal conflict. And that begins to wear us out emotionally, spiritually, intellectually. It's too hard to keep up appearances. too embarrassing to let people in, too shameful in our minds to admit to anyone. So we become isolated, lonely, afraid, and weak. And in that state, you can't have any healthy relationships. That internal conflict tears us apart. Here's what John said again in 1 John 4 20. He says, Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar for whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sisters. Listen, what what the way you discover how to be authentic is you live in a community where people really know you. And it's okay to be in process. It's okay to be on your journey. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to wrestle. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to fight. It's okay, nobody cuts you off because these things are happening in your life. That's what I want our church to be. That's what I want every small group to be, is a place where people can feel safe enough to wrestle with their fears. And they're not afraid to say it because they'll know they'll be accepted. But then they're loved enough and the, and, the, and the desire of the community and the desire of God is to take them on this journey and to help them become all that he wants for them to be. And finally, if you do these two things, you get in touch with your profound significance and then you get in touch with your, your unswerving authenticity, something begins to happen. You get in touch with self-giving love. Self-giving love. This is when life gets exciting because you're beginning to transcend your own boundaries and recognizing other people's needs. You don't just see yourself, you see others. You actually see past their veneer. You can see what is happening inside them and you've decided you're gonna give yourself to that. Jesus said, if you wanna revolutionize your relationships, walk an extra mile. Be generous with everything you have. Be a blessing to others, even in the face of, Of their pain even in the face of their evil even in the in the face of persecution and every time you do this you're practicing self-giving love again the Apostle Paul says it in Ephesians 4 2 he says and mark that you do this with humility and discipline not in fits and starts but steadily pouring yourselves out for each other in acts of love alert at noticing differences and quick at mending fences so bad at mending fences, I was just up in lake travis and if and, and, and if you if 've been in a, a a rural setting, you know what happens when you don 't mend fences quickly. You lose all your stock, worse yet, other uh, wolves and and thieves come in listen in a, in a world where relationships are so important it's, it's, this is what the apostle paul is saying he 's saying be alert to the differences that are going on around you and other people. And be willing to mend the fences. Be willing to work hard together. Be willing to love people and pour out yourself in acts of love. This is who we're called to be as God's people. The brilliant author and theologian Henry nauen he said, Our greatest fulfillment lies in giving ourselves to others. Sociologists confirm this. People who are active in giving themselves away to others, even if they don't know God, they, there's, a, there's a certain satisfaction that starts to come into their lives. Here's what First John says, and this will be our final scripture. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him this is love not that we loved God but he loved us sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another and then my one of my favorite passages in the Bible verse 12 no one has ever seen God but if we love one another God lives in us and his love is made complete in us can I tell you if you don't hear anything else today this is what I want you to leave with final sentence God is most interested. Everything in the gospel, everything in the good news, everything about God's interaction with your life is focused on restoring to you the art of giving and receiving love. People are so messed up, they don't know how to give love. They don't know how to, and, and, and that kind of begins with the fact that they didn't ever receive it. So the gospel, the good news, the work of Christ, the message of Jesus, the message of God's great salvation is accept his love fully and completely, and then let it spill over in others as well. This is what we're called to be. I want the band to come up, and we're going to come to the Lord's table but I want you to hear me. This is the secret to every valuable relationship we have. It's what makes us most like Jesus. This is the idea that will transform our marriages and families. Self-giving love. I am so secure. I am so settled. I am, I am at peace with who God has made me to be. I see my significance. I am embracing authenticity and I begin to give myself away to the world. Close your eyes and bow your heads and and let's pray. And as we come to the Lord's table, I just want you to think about I just want you to think about what God might be asking of you. Maybe there's a hurt in your past or a wound from your history. Maybe you found yourself reaching for things to fill yourself up. Maybe you've been putting too much confidence in your spouse to complete you. And today you're realizing only Jesus can recreate you. Only Jesus can redeem you. God himself turned to him. Turn to what God wants to do in your life. Come to this table and receive his provision. Come to this table and be forgiven of your sins. Come to this table and and be refreshed in your soul. Come and be made new in the miracle of God, the mystery of receiving love, the love of Christ. The bread represents his broken body so that you could be healed. The cup represents his spilled blood so that you could be forgiven and free. Father, we come to you and we ask you to do your work in us, the work that only you can do. Speak to us now as we come to this table. Come and give us a new start. Give us fresh eyes to see, a fresh heart to understand. We thank you for this in Jesus' name, amen.